This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you, joined by the beat reporter for BOL. Charlie Potter, of course, does an outstanding job covering the Crimson Tide for the 247sports.com network. Charlie, as I bring you on here, we're recording this late Tuesday afternoon, and it's been a rough few hours for the boomers out there, like myself. We have lost Edward Van Halen, guitar virtuoso. Now, look, again, I know I'm dating myself, I, and I, proudly in this instance, as a 51-year-old uh, growing up in an era where, yeah, you actually had to listen to vinyl. You know, vinyl wasn't a collectible back in like 78 to 80 to 82. We had to listen to vinyl, Charlie. Then we got into cassettes, CDs, and wow, what do you know now? We've got iTunes and Spotify and things like that. But that one hits That one hits close to home, Charlie. That one hit close to home. Now, I'm sure even at your age, you've heard, obviously, like everyone else, Michael Jackson and the iconic hit, Beat It. Well, you know, you got some Eddie Van Halen right in the middle of that thing with a great solo as well. Uh, Charlie, I'm not looking for sort of words of condolences um, I guess if we do have something that we can lean on on this afternoon at last check, right? The Atlanta Braves look like they were in pretty good shape. At last check, yeah. Um, yeah, I know Travis Darnot had a solid day, but I mean, it, it is a sad day. I'm, I'm a guy that I grew up going to afternoon guitar lessons on Saturdays uh, when I was younger. So um, just the what is now considered classic rock is what I really grew up on. I mean, nice. my parents are older. I have I have older sisters. Uh, my my middle sister actually caught a guitar pick from a Van Halen concert, so she has nice. to know it now. Uh, but you know, it, it's a sad day. I, I listened to Eruption on uh, YouTube earlier, and um, you know, he's just. He's in the on the Mount Rushmore of guitarists, in my opinion, and uh, I know you have Hendrix and guys like that, Clapton, but uh, I mean Eddie Van Halen is just a unique individual, and um, you know when it comes to guitarists, I don't know if there's anyone better. Classically trained musician, you know, I think a lot of folks weren't aware of that as he was sort of coming into his own, but uh, from a family of musicians, his brother, of course, Alex, the drummer for Van Halen, so it's a tough one. It's a tough one. And bonus points there for young Charlie Potter, man. I love it. <laughs> now, was your guitar teacher, was he kind of that uh, prototype guitar teacher? Was it a guy? Was it a gal? I mean, was that kind of how you made your connection with the classic rock? You said your parents as well. Did you grow up in a house where the classic rock was pretty much the soundtrack on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, my dad uh, is a big fan of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. 
um, you know, my mom's more, she loves Elvis and, um, you know, some classic country, like she loves Kenny Rogers and, and Alabama. Sure. So it's a, it's a good mixture, but from a guitar, uh, lesson standpoint, I, it probably wasn't just the, you know, anything to write home about. Um, you know, I never learned how to read music, which is a shame. It was more the tabs that you can pick up online now, but back in the day it was, you know, we'd go and uh, I'd learn a couple of new songs and just go home and kind of tinker with it. I, I wish I'd kept up with it. I still have some guitars. I know people can probably see them in the, the Zoom calls we do with Nick Saban and the players, and they've got some, some dust on them. But they're here. They're at the house. They've made the trip. You know, they're not like some of the other things from childhood that are in, in boxes and stuff. But, uh, no, it was, a, it was a time where I, I like to think of myself as a pretty well-rounded person and you know I, I took up guitar and got decently good at it but uh you know it's a it's kind of a thing of the past now but um just it was a i had a, a guy guitar teacher it was just at a, a railroad bazaar up in Gunnersville, alabama and uh it was a good time though i mean i learned a lot and i wish i'd learned more but you know it is what it is kind of the, the just like kids taking karate or something like that it was just a hobby i, I picked up see i wish i'd have known this sooner because we would have had charlie potter put together our theme song for the <laughs> Bama online podcast. That's what we should have done from the start. Charlie didn't tell me that. I wasn't aware of that. We learned something new about Charlie Potter today on the podcast. Um, hopefully you'll learn something new by listening to the podcast <laughs> today as we move into the midweek stages of Ole Miss week coming off Alabama's uh, big win over the Texas A&M Aggies on Saturday, last Saturday at Bryant-Denny Stadium. A 28-point win for the Crimson Tide, a highly anticipated matchup with the Texas A&M Aggies. Charlie, and I guess, again, for a second straight week, unlike, say, the last previous three years, from a health perspective, Alabama looks to be in pretty good shape. Yeah, they do. Um, you know, I don't really remember seeing anybody go into the medical tent for an extended period of time or even at all on Saturday. I know we're on the opposite side of the stadium now with the press box being moved. So you have to really bring your binoculars to see uh, because you have to look across the field. But I know Jalen Waddell um, might have had a you know, little bumper bruise, but he came back in the game kind of like at uh, Missouri where he slid on the the track there and, and uh, got some attention, but nothing significant at all. And yeah, I mean, you look at what's happened the, the last several years from for Alabama from an injury standpoint, and they've just been um, you know bitten by the injury bug and have had a lot of bad luck. But that hasn't been the case this year, and I think some of that can be you know attributed to David Ballou and Matt Ray and, and what they're doing. They're well known for you know um, how successful they are in injury prevention, and uh, I think it's paying dividends for Alabama. You know, they've been healthy. Um, you know, the, the only real injury they've dealt with is that broken arm to Ronald Williams. He was the only guy in street clothes. And then, of course, you got that nagging knee injury uh, for Christian Barmore. But other than that, I mean, it's been all hands on deck and, and guys have been uh, staying healthy. Give us a perspective from that new press box, which is more towards the northeast corner of Bryant Denny Stadium. Previously, it was pretty much between, gosh, like the 40s there at midfield on the west side of the stadium. Charlie, you and Kirk McNair were there for us on Saturday. I got a report that that 2.30 glare coming from the west might have been a little tough on the the guys and gals there in that press box on Saturday. 
Yeah, the sun is an issue. Um, you know, thankfully in, in this year, a lot of the games are going to be uh, night games uh, because of the SEC only schedule. But you know, that two thirty kick on on CBS, I mean, probably about one o'clock, right when the sun's up and in, in the top of the sky. It, it's in your face until it goes down and uh it got pretty toasty now thankfully it was a pretty nice afternoon in tuscaloosa and they have it's a closed press box but they can kind of open up the windows up top a little bit let in a breeze but um you know it's in your face they handed out um visors to everybody on the front row and the the front row was comprised of uh the front row was comprised of uh, all the Alabama beat reporters. So the second row was like your your SIDs and, and media relations people and then the visiting uh, media, which I don't know how they got lucky enough to sit up there. But um, we were in the, <laughs> the eye of the storm, so to speak, uh, all game long. Now, it, it's a great press box. Um, you know, the view's not bad. It's, it's, uh, it's really big. I was expecting it to be downsized, but it's a, a significant size. And you see how some of these press boxes are kind of changing across college football and of course the NFL they're going to that corner spot and giving up that prime real estate on the 50 and I know you know not to you know kick a dead or beat a dead horse or anything like this but Auburn's press box is terrible it's small it's over there in the corner and I was kind of expecting that when we took the tour on Thursday uh, but it, it's actually you know I, I was pleasantly surprised by the press box and other than you know, having the sun in your face for most of the game I think everything else was was really nice and they did a good job over there. Speaking of weather, something we didn't think we would probably have to touch on all that much with this deferred start to the 2020 season, thinking that, well, late September start, you know, heat won't be as much of an issue. Perhaps tropical storms and hurricanes won't be as much of a concern. Nope. We've got Hurricane Delta ready to make her entrance into the Gulf of Mexico, it looks like, Charlie. And could have an impact on Saturday evening's matchup between the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Ole Miss Rebels in Oxford. Certainly, you talk about games like Missouri and LSU set for Saturday night, and Baton Rouge has already talked that perhaps that game could be shifted entirely uh, to Columbia, Missouri. Uh, I guess we did see something from Ole Miss on Tuesday afternoon or around midday on Tuesday that as of the time of the recording of this podcast, we're still on for five o'clock central on Saturday evening. Yeah. I mean, that's what you expect them to say. I mean, I, I think that'll kind of be the, the MO going forward. Um, you know, it, it could be a situation where it's like a 2015 Georgia game or the, the trip up to Missouri a, a couple years before that, where it's just uh, a torrential downpour. Uh, I, I've covered a couple of games like that, it seems like. But right now, it, everything's on. And, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see what Nick Saban says, um, you know, Wednesday, because he'll speak on the SEC teleconference and uh, after practice and a Zoom call with, with us. But, you know, he's a guy that he stays glued to that weather channel. And I'm sure that, you know, he has some thoughts and some uh, opinions and maybe a little bit of insight onto, into what might happen. But talking to the players, um, on Tuesday, we spoke with LeBron Ray and, and Landon Dickerson. You could kind of tell they had been prepped for something like this, but you know, Landon Dickerson made the joke that he's a business administration major, not a meteorologist, and uh, he can't tell us what's going to happen. But whatever the game circumstances are going to be, uh, they'll be prepared for it. And that, you know, I mean, Alabama's always prepared for stuff like that. They prepare for 
every and any circumstance and scenario. And so, um, you know, that's something we'll keep an eye on. Uh, obviously, you know, it could be a situation where I don't really know how much it would benefit from moving to Tuscaloosa. I guess it depends on the trajectory of the storm. But, uh, you know, maybe it's shifted there. Maybe it's it's moved uh, to a different day. But right now, like you said, it's it's on a schedule. And, you know, we'll, we'll head to Oxford on Saturday if, if it continues to be the case. We're going to head to a quick break here on the Bama Online podcast. When we come back, we're going to get into some more likely to happen scenarios. We'll do that with Charlie Potter, beat reporter for us there at BOL, part of the 247sports.com network. When the Bama Online podcast returns right after this. And we are back with more of a midweek edition of the Bama Online podcast. Travis Schreier joined by Charlie Potter, your trusty BOL staffers here on the podcast. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the podcast? It's very simple. It's simple as a click or two. It's free. You can do it wherever you consume your podcast. Maybe that's iTunes. Maybe that's Google Play, Stitcher, Megaphone. You name it. And if you don't mind, how about a rating and a review while you're there? That would help us out as well. Let's get into some more likely to happen scenarios for this Alabama football team as it gets ready to head to Oxford, Mississippi for a matchup with Lane Kiffin, former Nick Saban assistant, of course, here at Alabama and the Ole Miss Rebels. First up for you, Charlie, we will discuss Najee Harris. Will he post his first 100-yard game this week at Ole Miss? Is that more likely to happen, or do you think it's more likely that Devontae Smith will post his first 100-yard receiving game of the season. Yeah, for me, I, I want to lean toward Devontae just because you look at what happened last year. Um, he had, what, 274 yards and five touchdowns against Ole Miss, and they're not much better on the defensive side of the ball uh, this year. I think they, they still probably have a nightmare. It's about number six from last year's game. But with all this talk about weather and – and everything like that. And, and you look at Ole Miss's rushing defense. It's it's last in the SEC. And, you know, they just gave up 400-plus yards to Kentucky and six touchdowns. I just think Najee Harris is primed for a 100-yard game. He hasn't had any problem you know, getting into the end zone. He has five so far. But you're know, facing a, a, a defense that has been just horrific at stopping the run. And, and in a week where I, I think that the, the offensive line are really motivated, like I said, we talked to Landon Dickerson on Tuesday, and uh, you know he called the run game disappointing up to this point. He really placed the blame on his shoulders and the rest of the offensive line's shoulders. So I think that combination of them kind of wanting to get things going in the ground game and then the combination of potential rainy weather and facing a really bad defense when it comes to stopping the run, it's just kind of a, a perfect storm, and pardon the pun there, for, for Najee Harris to get 100 yards this weekend. Really hard to go against Devontae, also considering what he did against this whole Miss defense yeah. last year in Tuscaloosa. I mean, we're talking about a historic performance, right, uh, a year ago. Uh, against the Rebels, but it, it's hard to go against Najee in this particular in, instance because of m- most of the things you talked about right there. And if if you're Kentucky, how the hell do you lose a game in which you rush for 408? <laughs> average 7.3. Kentucky averaged 7.3 yards per carry against Ole Miss last week, and you said it, six rushing touchdowns? I need to go back and see when's the last time an SEC team lost a game in conference play in which it rushed for six 
touchdowns. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. So, yeah, I think this rushing attack for Alabama probably does feel like right now it has something to prove. And again, that's understanding that as long as you're rolling up the explosive plays through the air like they have through two games, you're not going to go away from that. If you still have those opportunities, you're going to look to hit them. But I think there is something to be said about yards per carry, and that's something we didn't see from Najee Harris last week. It wasn't that he didn't go over 100 yards, right? It's that his yards per carry, for a guy that's right around six for his career, you know, he was sub four in the game against Texas A&M. Still producing touchdowns, though, isn't he? He is, yeah. And, I mean, Texas A&M's got a pretty decent defensive front. You look at guys like Bobby Brown and the guys they have along that defensive line, and you could really tell that they were going to make Mac Jones beat them with his arm. And, I mean, you look at the performance he had with 400-plus yards and four touchdowns. He certainly did that. So uh, I think that they kind of sold out and maybe stopping the run a little bit. And, um, you know, again, it, it's a situation where uh, the offensive line is, is putting it on themselves to, to improve. And, um, you know, Najee hasn't looked like he's regressed at all. He even looks a little bit more explosive. We've seen him contribute in the, the passing game quite a bit. And I think just, you know, they, they got to get their footing under him. It's a really talented and experienced offensive line. I think they'll you know, get it going. And what better time to do it than this week after what we just talked about and how they give it just so much to Kentucky. And it, it's a it's a good Kentucky team, but I think everyone would agree that Alabama collectively, when it comes to running backs and offensive line, has a better unit on that side of the ball. So, yeah, I would look for them to bounce back this week and to maybe use that as a catalyst moving forward. Yeah, uh, Devontae, 11 catches, 274 yards, five touchdowns against the Rebels <laughs> last season. Um but it, it, it is. It's a it's a situation where I don't think either would would surprise us here. But uh, no. if I if I'm going to pick one, I'm probably probably first going to go with Najee Harris this week. Next up, Charlie, Christian Barmore or Will Anderson most likely to record his first sack of the season this week against Ole Miss. This one was was tough. Uh, obviously, I've seen all these scenarios ahead of time, and uh, this one was really tough for me because I think both of these guys are going to eventually get to the quarterback. And uh, Christian Barmore didn't play in the first game against Missouri. Like I said, he's been dealing with that nagging knee injury, and then last week he saw you know him play a role in the second game. He came off the bench, and initially he was only used on third down, but he you know slowly but surely started to play more and more. I think you know, this week we'll see even more of him. Uh, Nick Saban said that he's good. You know, he play he'll play more and more as they go, and um, I, I just think it's a, it's a situation to where he's eventually going to get there and get more opportunities. Now, Will Anderson's been a guy that's you know we haven't seen him on the bench very much in these first two games, and we've seen that explosive uh, ability out of him. He's really lived up to that hype, and I, I think it's just a matter of now he's got to start contributing in that box score. Um, we saw him played really well against the option game and the Missouri game. And he made a couple mistakes against Texas A&M, but still that explosive ability was, was on full display. And I'll probably go with Christian Barmore just because he's going to get more opportunities. I think this week moving forward as he gets um, you know closer to full health and it sounds like he's there, if not really close. And so I, I would give the edge to Barmore. Um, but I, I think, you know, for me, this one was basically a coin flip. Uh, I think that both of them are, are going to be, you know, two of the best pass rushers for Alabama this season. And Will Anderson is eventually going to get there. But with Barmore getting some more opportunities, I had to give him the nod. Yeah, Ole Miss through two games has given up six sacks. 
uh, Alabama in two games has three sacks defensively. I'll go with Will Anderson, and I'm going to work off the premise that Barmore is going to be a focal point, especially in passing down, so he's more likely to see help. We saw some interesting stuff with Barmore back in terms of the dime package. A lot of linebackers out there in that look, including Will Anderson. I'll go Will Anderson in that one. Uh, Let's get into another one on the offensive side of the ball, Charlie. Carl Tucker or Slade Bolden. Which of those two is more likely to catch a pass against the Rebels this week? Because it's been pretty much all Miller Forrestall at the tight end position. Uh, and then, of course, when you look at wide receiver, Devontae uh, leading the way in targets and receptions, Jalen Waddle with back-to-back 100-yard games, the emergence of John Metchie last week. So who do you got there, Carl Tucker or Slade Bolton? This is another tough one. Um, you look at it, and I really thought we would see more of the, that fourth and fifth receiver up to this point. Uh, like you said, I mean, it's been all Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, and John Mechie so far. I thought, you know, they would try to get a little bit of a rotation going there and get guys like Slade Bolden and, and Javon Baker, the, the true freshman in the mix. But that really hasn't been the case. Now, on the flip side of that, the tight ends, they've been using a lot of those. We've seen a, a healthy rotation there of you know, four players, um, you know, Major Tennyson is a guy that was dealing, I probably should have mentioned earlier, but dealing with that uh, intestinal issue. And um, I think that we've seen uh, Miller Forrestall. We've seen Carl Tucker as a starter. We've seen a lot of Cameron Latou and Jaleel Billingsley so far. So they've had a healthy rotation there. So I think with that, just because we've seen more tight ends on the field, I would give the nod to Carl Tucker. Now I know he's brought in as more of a blocker, and we haven't seen him just run a, a tremendous amount of routes or anything like that. But he's at least on the field, and so that's that's the first step. And I think for me, that's that's just the way I'd lean. But I, I want to see if maybe they start to get some of these other receivers involved, uh, because now you know that you have three solid options or more than solid options uh, in Smitty and Waddle and Mechie. And, um, you know, that's going to be a lot for defenses to handle. So maybe you throw a fourth guy in the mix with Bolden in the slot or a guy like Baker outside, but just, we haven't seen that yet. We have seen a bunch of tight ends. And so I gave the nod to the tight end there. Yeah. All these explosive plays are eventually going to wear that top three out, right? I mean, they're going to have to, (laughs) going to have to get a break. Uh, the good news for them is that they usually get rewarded on those routes. They haven't missed many of those to this point. Well, the worst part is running verticals, running verticals, and never hooking up and having to come all the way back and you know get ready to run another play. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to go to Carl Tucker there as well. And also, as you said, the usage, the the level of usage that we're seeing with tight ends, and, and also seeing Carl Tucker used in a little bit of a fullback role. Uh, in short yardage and goal line last week, that tells me they probably got something for him off play action into the flat, maybe in one of those mm-hmm. scenarios. So I'll go with you. I'll go with the UNC grad transfer as well in Carl Tucker. Back to the defensive side of the ball, Charlie. Patrick Sertan II or Josh Job? Which of them, in your opinion, more likely to pick off a pass from Matt Corral over in Oxford? Yeah, another tough one just because I think they've been the two most consistent defensive backs. Um, you know, we've seen a little bit of shaky play from the safeties to begin with. I thought Malachi Moore uh, was a little nervous in that first game and, and played really well in the second game. But just consistently for the, the first two games, Josh Job and Patrick Stan played uh, really well. I think Josh Job is you know, playing 
uh, with emotion, but not plain emotional. That's something Nick Saban likes to say a lot, uh, especially in regards to him. And he's benefited from that. So I'm, I'm going to give the, the nod to Josh Job just because I think if you're going to throw it to one of the corners, you're going to stray away from number two. Um, just because Sertan has that, um, you know, that that aura around him as the potential first round draft pick after this season. So I, I just think that Josh Job's going to get more targets, and the way that he's playing, I think he can, you know, take advantage of one of those and, and pick them off. So I, I would I would side with Job there, but both those guys are playing really well so far. Yeah, it really shouldn't be a surprise that Wright and Moore uh, are the guys that have interceptions pretty much thus far. Um, when you consider that. If you're an opposing offensive coordinator, who are you going to go at? First-time starters, right? And even though Job has pretty much taken over as a as a first-time starter, you've at least seen him, you know, have some success in the the Citrus Bowl, working at that corner opposite Patrick Sertan the second. I'll go, I'll go Patrick Sertan the second. Kind of a flyer on that one. You know, I think Lane, as we know after seeing his work here in Tuscaloosa. Uh, like the the two guys before him, he's going to challenge, going to continue to challenge Malachi Moore there in the slot. Uh, saw him do some really devastating things to some slot corners when he was here and getting some matchups with Amari Cooper and some of those scenarios. Uh, but I think Jonathan Mingo on the outside is going to look to challenge some of those guys at the corner spots as well. So I'll just take a flyer. I'll go Patrick Sertan the second. I do agree with you, though. If it does happen for him, I think it'll happen on fewer targets his way. Um, let's talk kicking game a little bit. Kind of an interesting aspect from last Saturday's game against Texas A&M, Charlie, was that we saw Will Reichert back in the kickoff mix. So let me ask you this. More likely to handle kickoffs at Ole Miss this weekend. Chase Allen or Will Reichert? Yeah, that was interesting. Um, you know, Chase Allen's a guy that, that handled kickoffs in the the entirety of the opener at Missouri, and then we saw him do a majority of the kickoffs against Texas A and M, and then Riker closed out the game. And you know, it was a situation where A and M wasn't going to return the ball uh, on kickoffs, uh, and some of those kicks were short; they didn't go to the end zone like I think they would like them to. And so I, I think they just went with probably the stronger leg there. And it is a situation where. Will Reichert is coming off that hip injury, and you don't really want to overdo it with him because he's been um, perfect on field goals and extra points this year. But I also think you don't want to give anything up uh, in the return game, even though I think they feel pretty good about their cover guys. So I would probably lean toward Will Reichert here just because we saw him close out the game, and I think they probably just want a more you know, consistent effort. But again, it's, it's a situation where uh, you and I have talked about it before. I'm still kind of surprised we haven't seen Joseph Boulevus at this point he was at the game saturday he was warming up uh so I, we've seen him be pretty consistent on kickoffs so maybe that's something that they look to do but uh at this point just with the way the game ended i would probably go with Riker right now even though i think that the chase allen's still a guy that they would try to use a little bit but just from a consistency standpoint i think you go with the scholarship guy yeah i think you've got some dangerous options back there too for Ole Miss this week. I think Elijah Moore is part of that, maybe on kickoff returns. I need to double-check that, but consider that as well. And so you want to try to make these kicks as unreturnable as you can. I still, though, have that sort of image in my mind from the Southern Miss game last year when the misfire by Riker led to 
his season-long struggles pretty much with that hip injury. I'll stick with Chase Allen. I'm going to go with the underdog. I'm going to go with the walk-on. If you give me the opportunity to go with the walk-on, I'm probably going to do that. But that's the route I will go on that one. As we wrap things up with Charlie Potter and we talk some more likely to happen scenarios for Ole Miss this weekend. How about this one, Charlie? More likely to score a touchdown in the game Saturday. Brian Robinson, impressive fourth quarter for the senior running back against Texas A&M last Saturday. Or Miller Forstall, the tight end. This is another tough one. I, I think you did a good job of putting all these together. And I'll go, <laughs> I'll go with Miller Forstall just because what we've talked about uh, a little bit ago just with Carl Tucker and Slade Bolden is – those receivers have gotten a lot of opportunities. I think they're going to get a lot of attention. I think that opens things up for Miller Forstall. He's got his caught three passes so far. Uh, he's he's had a couple nice plays up to this point. He's averaging 19 yards per reception, and that's pretty high for a guy like Forstall. He's usually just catching things over the middle. But um, I, I think I would just lean that way, just because we haven't seen uh, Brian Robinson use a lot in those short yardage situations been in the red zone and especially near the goal line Najee Harris has been in the game and um you, know, you hate it for a guy like Brian Robinson because he dropped a, a would-be walk-in touchdown at Missouri so he would already be on the board had it not been for a little bit of the case of Butterfingers but I just think with you know, the attention that the wide receivers are going to draw and how how much we've seen Forrestal kind of involved in the passing game already that maybe creates an opportunity for him I know last year he scored a, a few times, and uh, I would look for just – if we're looking at who scores next among those two, I would give the nod to the, the redshirt senior tight end. Yeah, Forrestal against Ole Miss last year had a touchdown catch. One of yeah. his four on the season, two catches, 40 yards in that game for a score. Look, I can't get away from Kentucky running <laughs> for six true. touchdowns. Last week, and that's understanding. Najee doesn't leave a lot of room for anyone else when it comes to the TDs, right? What is it? Right. Five touchdowns in two games, and that's mm-hmm. it for the running backs. Uh, but I'll go Brian Robinson. I think he's going to get rewarded a little bit for what he did in the fourth quarter. Not so much uh, for the for the work against A and M in the fourth quarter. Not so much uh, in a way that it's really going to detract from Najee. I'm just sort of anticipating a game that by the fourth quarter. He'll have an opportunity maybe similar to what he had against A&M, and he finds his way into the end zone. And uh, touch is really precious for even Miller Forstall at the tight end position right now. And we kind of talked about that before the season. He was a, a scenario we outlined in terms of quantity versus quality, and it's very much been quality on his two grabs to this point. But, uh, you know, it, it may be tough to come by for him this week uh, – against the Rebels in terms of those type of opportunities. Well, Charlie, I think we just about covered it. You good to go? Yeah, I will say, going back to what you were talking about on kickoffs, Jerry Ely is the guy that's been the return man yes. for Ole Miss, and he's averaging more than 25 yards a clip on three returns. So I think they would probably just like to boot in the end zone, call it a day, and, and get on defense as much as they can. There you go. Yeah, Jerry Ely, the sophomore playmaker, one of several that Lane's got at his disposal. Along with Elijah Moore, Jerry and Ely, Jonathan Mingo, grad transfer tight end, and Kenny Yaboa from Temple. You know, Lane's got him a few toys to work with in year one over there 
at Ole Miss. Well, it's been a lot of fun with Charlie Potter. We thank you as well for tuning in to the Bama Online Podcast. Keep it locked to BOL. We'll have continuing coverage not only of team news, but certainly recruiting news. What about J.D. Davison before we get out of here, Charlie? How about that addition to Nate Oates' roster for the 2021-22 season coming up? That was a hell of a 5 p.m. for Alabama fans. Thunderbolt. Yeah. Yeah. Simultaneously, when that uh, dropped, uh, Jalen Waddle was scoring an 87-yard touchdown. So it was just a, <laughs> a glass case of emotion for for Alabama fans. But no, it's it's a big pickup. Um, anytime you can get the number one player in the state, the number one player at his position, a point guard and a top ten player in the country, it is a huge win. And it doesn't sound like they're done uh, because you know JD Davison, after he kind of did the overhaul of his Twitter profile with. You know, changing his his profile picture to an Alabama edit and everything like that, he was quick to say that that Alabama's not done on the recruiting trail. So it just goes to show that this staff is uh, you know doing a great job. And and really, you look at last year with the the haul that they were able to to sign, that was really um, Brian Hodgson's class. And now we've seen Antoine Petway you know flex his recruiting muscles a little bit. So. You know, Nate Oates not only is putting together a, a great team uh, over there at Coleman Coliseum, but he has a staff that can recruit all over the country, and it's just certainly paying dividends for them. A lot of fun to watch these days. That's going to do it for the Bama Online Podcast. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again. BamaOnline.com got you covered, and we'll be back soon with another edition of the podcast right here on the Bama Online Pod. So long, everybody. <laughs>